University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Well, most of us in this room probably had to take a foreign language in school. I took three years of Spanish, starting in eighth grade. And I'm somewhat ashamed to say, though not surprised, and I bet you aren't either, that I don't remember much of it at this point. I can pick up a few words here and there if I'm listening to a Spanish speaker. Sometimes I can conjure a word or two to say something meaningful or useful, but for all intents and purposes, my Spanish is gone. And I suppose after 20 years, um, that will happen. But as I think back to my own lack of language ability outside of English, I often think about what it must be like for someone to live in another country that's not their own, with a language that's not their own. Now, some of you here this morning have done that, actually quite a few of you. But I think especially of the internationals that live here in Baton Rouge, who not only have to try to navigate English, a language that's already confusing enough, even for native English speakers, but they have to do it while hearing Southern English, which is its own brand of confusing, even for non-Southern Americans. Southern, Southerners have their own way of speaking that is quite unique. Take some of the more peculiar phrases that we often hear. If I had my druthers. Now I know what that means, and most of you probably know what that means, but I had no idea where that phrase came from. Apparently it comes from Mark Twain, his characters Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, and it's a shortening of the phrase, would rather. Go figure. Or how about this one? What in the Sam Hill? Does anyone know who Sam Hill is? <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. Moving on. Hold your horses. That's another one that gets me. This one makes a little bit more sense, though, when you think about it. Slowing down, not letting your horses get too far out ahead of you. But imagine being a beginner English speaker and trying to figure these things out. Well, you're aware, I'm sure, that we have a fantastic English conversation ministry here at UBC, where we talk about some of these weird phrases or words from time to time. And it can be really helpful for some of the international students and others that we encounter to learn pieces of the Southern dialect that they probably wouldn't have any way of figuring out on their own. Now, I'll add a shameless plug here for our English conversation ministry and invite you to consider being a part of it with us. This past Thursday, we had an absolute blast at our summer kickoff, where we met some new internationals, played English games together, started, but didn't finish, a ping pong tournament, and ate some really wonderful Cajun food. And we had, I believe, 12 different countries represented in a room of about 30 or so people. And it's not uncommon for us to have such a wide range of diversity in our meetings together. Every Thursday night from 6.30 to 8.30, we have dedicated volunteers who help guide conversation, 
lead lessons on interesting topics ranging from American culture to world politics, and we provide a space for internationals to practice their English and make new friends. It's a wonderfully practical way to serve others. And if you're interested in learning more, please let me know. We would love to have you. The good news, by the way, is you don't have to be fluent in any other language than English. But I was thinking a lot about language, of course, as I was reading our passage for this morning. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and we look back to Acts chapter 2 and what is sometimes referred to as the birth of the church. Now, whether you're familiar with this story or not, I invite you this morning to open your eyes and your ears and perhaps receive something new. We'll look at verses 1 through 13 together in Acts chapter 2. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were together, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each one of us hear them speaking in our native language? Brace yourselves. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, oh, and Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking, declaring the mighty words of God in our own languages. And they were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them, saying, they're full of new wine. It's okay to laugh at that last part, by the way. It's not lost on me that what we call the birth of the church was seen by some outside the community as the disciples simply being in a drunken fit. That's a great way to start a movement. And I think it is intended to be funny, but it also says something significant about the place of the Christian community in the world. It seems to me that if we are listening, if we're following God's call for us in the world, it might often look a little crazy. And I don't mean that in any flippant sense or to say that we're supposed to act irresponsibly or silly. What I mean, though, is that, our, that the values of Jesus... And the values of the Christian church don't always align with those of the world around us. Take poverty, for instance. A relatively safe example, I suppose, but it's very clear in Jesus' teachings and in the Old Testament, the prophets especially, that God's people are called to care for the poor, to prioritize the poor, to put the poor at the front of the line, the head of the table. Now certainly, 
There are plenty of people in the world trying to correct issues of poverty, and we should work with them. This isn't an us versus them thing. Let's be clear about that. But I don't think that many of us would say that our society as a whole is doing a really great job of solving poverty, of making that dream of alleviating poverty actually come to fruition. Most of our cultures praise wealth and status. But Jesus flips that upside down and says, those who are first shall be last. Those who are last shall be first. Now to say that to a world drunk on money or power sounds a little crazy. Not everyone, though, thought the disciples were drunk. Many of them were amazed and perplexed and wondered, what does this mean? As they heard the disciples speaking in their own languages about God's deeds of power. It's very important, by the way. Let's remember that these disciples weren't just giving the Cappadocians or the Cretans the daily weather report. This wasn't just a cheap parlor trick. Each of these individuals heard in their own language about God's deeds of power. In other words, the disciples were empowered by God's spirit and had something meaningful to say. These were disciples who, up until this point, were huddled together, awaiting something for themselves. This Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised them. And their very reception of this spirit is in and through acts of speech that welcome the whole world to join them. The book of Acts is full of God's Spirit doing new and wonderful things to break open people's hearts and to create spaces for ever more inclusion and acceptance. The very birth of the church, the message that launches the entire movement, says to the world, all are welcome here. What does this mean, they say? It means that the church can't be the church without opening her arms to everyone. Now, it's helpful to remember that this particular story is situated in the context of a longer narrative in the New Testament and a longer narrative in the liturgical calendar of the Christian church. Pentecost Sunday, today, falls at the end of the season of Easter. You may not have known we've been celebrating Easter up until this moment, which, of course, follows the season of Lent. As one commentator notes, we move backwards, in a sense, symbolically moving from ashes of Ash Wednesday to the fire of Pentecost Sunday, from dust and death to vitality and power. A seeming impossibility, but an act of power which God does on behalf of the church and the world. And in the narrative of Jesus' story, the birth of the church is meant to be read as a continuation of Easter and the ascension, a continuation of Jesus' resurrection and of God bringing life from death. And so the day of Pentecost, with its tongues of fire, follows the power of resurrection with a power of breath, wind, and spirit 
as God gives new energy, vitality, and life to this early community of believers. And they are now not just observing, but participating in the resurrection of Jesus. And that breath, wind, or spirit, we should know that it's the same breath, wind, and spirit that hovers over the waters and brings order to chaos in Genesis 1. So when we hear the question of these bystanders, what does this mean? I think we should be reminded that this strange occurrence on the day of Pentecost is simply another example of what God has always done. The disciples are gathered, after all, at the culmination of the festival of weeks, a time of 50 days, hence Pentecost, celebrating the first harvest of the season and God's abundant gifts. And they experience yet another gift from God. This is one day in the long story of God's unfolding of new life in the world, now evident in the church. Now, if all of that theology almost put you to sleep, while the history of the text matters deeply for understanding the power and importance of this story, we also find ourselves in this story. We don't simply look back to this story in Acts 2, but the point is that this is how God is always working, even now. That God empowers us to do the same. For example, anywhere we see justice, peace, mercy, we can celebrate that God is at work. Anywhere we find communion with one another, regardless of language or nationality, at English conversation, for instance, or here in worship on Sunday mornings even, as we just heard. We can celebrate that God is at work. Another commentator writes this, every year on the day of Pentecost, we are reminded of who we are as a church, what we proclaim, and the source of that proclamation. It's a message to the church from the church, passed down through millennia to each generation. All in all, it reminds us that we are part of something much larger than ourselves, a universal church. If that seems a little overwhelming, though, it's also meant to remind us that our work here matters. That for the universal church to be the universal church, it takes small congregations to do the work that they're called to do. Our work here in Baton Rouge at the corner of Highland and Leeward matters. And if we're really hearing the story of Pentecost well, we hear that each of these bystanders heard in their own language something meaningful about God's work in the world. So the question might be, what does University Baptist Church have to say to the world around us? What do we have to say to Baton Rouge, to our neighborhood, to Highland Elementary School, to the members of Open Air Ministry, to LSU, Southern University, 
Baton Rouge Community College, to employees at Exxon, or anyone else you might imagine. Do we have something meaningful to say? Just so you know, and just so you hear it from me, I think the answer to that question is a resounding yes. I know because I've witnessed it. I saw volunteers on Thursday night, like I mentioned, both international and American volunteers, by the way, give their time and energy to say to other international students and members of our community, you are welcome here, you matter. I've seen this church provide space for parents and kids to connect in our Family Tree Cafe, in our Young Adults Night Out. Speaking a message that real supportive community matters here. I've seen us minister to teachers, students, and parents at Highland Elementary School. Speaking the message that educating children matters to us. I've seen us minister to Baton Rouge residents experiencing homelessness through open-air ministry. And while we might not have solved the problem of homelessness, we are able to speak a word of God's deeds of power by feeding people and letting them know, letting them know they aren't forgotten. And I could list countless other examples. What I'd rather do, though, is encourage you to consider the question for yourself. How have you seen this church say something meaningful to the world? Challenge, though, is this. In the same way that the universal church, the global church, doesn't exist without individual congregations like ours, University Baptist Church doesn't exist without each of you. We might say that the church has a central, unified message of hope to speak to the world, but that it can take virtually infinite forms. In the same way that the disciples each were empowered by God's Spirit to speak a unique language so others could hear, each of you are empowered by God's Spirit to speak the gospel, a message of hope and welcome, with your own unique voice. So that's the challenge, and that's the question. This week, this month, this year, how will you speak our message of life and hope into the world?